Thank you, worship team. Thank you all for singing. Singing is one of the ways that we as a church encourage one another and build one another up with the Word. In Colossians 3, Paul talks about how we build one another up through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we're building each other up when we sing. If you would please turn in your Bibles to our passage this morning, Psalm 77. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Psalms are the longest book in the Bible. They're near the middle of your Bible. So if you open up there, you should be able to find your way to the Psalm. Now, the Psalms, as we've been seeing the last few weeks, are Psalms for all occasions in life. They are songs given by God to His people by which we can respond both when things are going well and when things are not. Some of the songs are in major keys, delighting in God's care. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. While other psalms grapple with situations where God seems far away, even where God may seem to have turned against us. This morning, our Psalm 77 is a psalm in a minor key. It is a psalm written by one of God's people, Asaph, a worship leader thousands of years ago, in which he's grappling with questions about whether God still loves him and loves God's people, and grappling with questions about whether God has turned against him and against God's people. I've chosen this psalm because there are many psalms like this in the psalms, psalms where they're grappling with difficulties and fears about how God is is or isn't acting or is or isn't treating them. And I think it's important that we look at a psalm like this because it can help us to process those dark nights of the soul, those times when it seems like God may be far away or maybe even opposed to us. So would you please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word from Psalm 77. Psalm 77, to the choir master, according to Jedithon, a psalm of Asaph. Asaph writes this, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. 
You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our psalm is an interesting psalm. It begins in a minor key, but ends in a major key. It begins with despair that God may have turned against the psalmist. It ends with delight in God's care for his people. It is a psalm that doesn't end where it starts. There's a movement, a journey that the psalmist takes in this psalm. And it's a movement and a journey that I think is helpful for us when we face similar questions. It gives us a pattern, if you will, for grappling with those times when God seems far away or even when God seems against us. And the main thing I want us to see, the main idea, the main takeaway is this. There will be times of trouble. But in times of present trouble, remember God's past faithfulness. In times of present trouble, remember God's past faithfulness. As we'll see, that is what the psalmist does, and that is what moves him from despair to delight from minor key to major key, from cry of anguish to cry of worship. Well, let's look at this together. How should we respond when things aren't all right? When it seems like God may be against us or like God has abandoned us? Well, the first thing I want us to see in verses 1-3 through three is that in those difficult times, we should cry out to God. That is, in the midst of days of trouble, in the midst of difficulty, we don't run away from God. We don't minimize our concerns, but we go to God with them. Verses 1-3, through three, the psalmist begins by saying this. He says, I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God and He will hear me. He says, I'm crying out. And this isn't just, a, I'm praying to God. This is anguished crying to God. He says, I'm crying out to God. I'm crying out to him again and again. I'm hoping he will hear me. And in the day of my trouble, I'm seeking the Lord, verse 2. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. He says, I'm up all night praying. I'm crying out. I'm praying. I'm doing so continually. I'm up all night. I'm crying out to God in my day of trouble. But what we see in verses 1-3 through is that though he's crying out to God, though he's praying all night, Things don't seem to get any better. In fact, they seem to get worse. Notice what he says. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, verse 2. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. I'm up all night praying. But my soul refuses to be comforted, verse 2. He says, I'm not receiving comfort from God when I'm praying. I'm not receiving the answers I'm seeking. My dark night of the soul isn't ending. I'm up all night and there's no relief. In fact, he says, when I remember God and who He is and what He's done, rather than bringing 
blessing to me rather than bringing joy and comfort. It's actually bringing me pain. Verse 3 says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, that is when I look back at who God is and what He's done, and I remind myself of those truths, my spirit faints. He says, I'm calling out to you, God, in my day of trouble. I'm praying all night, and yet I'm not finding any relief. In fact, when I remember you, I moan. The psalmist is not minimizing his feelings. He's not papering over what's going on. He's going to God and he's being honest. And yet, even though he's not receiving the blessing and the comfort he desires, even though it causes him to moan and his spirit to faint, he's still remembering, he's still crying out, he's still praying all night. So he's in distress. We don't know what exactly is going on here, but he's in distress, he's in despair, and he's going to God with it, and he continues to cry out to God with it, even though it doesn't seem to be making anything better. Now this pattern of going to God in our times of distress is not unique to this psalm. In fact, there's a whole genre of psalms that are called lament psalms where the psalmists go to God and they say, God, things are not the way they should be. I'm in despair. I'm in trouble. God, what are you going to do about it? God, deliver me. God, help me. And so the pattern in the psalms and also in other areas of Scripture is when we are in trouble, we don't minimize it. We don't say, God doesn't care, so I'm not going to go to Him with it. We go to God with it. We go to God in the day of our trouble and we keep crying out to God as long as is needed. And so the psalmist is in trouble. He's crying out to God, but he's going to God and he's working through the issues by crying out in prayer. The psalmist continues in verses 4-9 through where we see that the psalmist is honest and expresses his concerns, his questions. Verse 4, he says, You, God, hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Notice he says, I'm up all night praying. And he says, I want to get some sleep, but I can't get any sleep. And the reason I can't get any sleep is because of you, God. You're the one who holds my eyelids open. You're the one who keeps me up at night. This is in the Bible. It says, you hold my eyelids open and I'm in so much anguish. I'm so troubled by what's going on that I can't even put it into words. I can't speak, he says verse 4. It says, I'm in distress. And it doesn't seem like you're doing anything about it, God. It actually seems like you're sort of like an enemy who's keeping me awake at night. When I remember you, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And yet he continues to go to God. And he tries to grapple with this by continuing to remember. He says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. He's saying, I'm looking back to what you've done in the past, God. And I said to myself, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. He's saying, let me think back to the songs I used to sing. The songs that used to bring me comfort at night. The songs about who you are, God. About what you've done in salvation. The things that you have done in the past. Let me bring back those hymns I used to sing at the top of my voice. Those songs that used to bring me joy when I would lead them in worship. So he's trying to go back and remind himself of who God is and what God has done. He's trying to conjure up the emotions and the trust that he had in the past. He's trying to sing the songs he used to sing. He's trying to remember 
who God is and what He has done in hopes that that will lead him out of this place of despair. And yet again, verse 7-9, through it doesn't seem like this works. Because his spirit makes a diligent search. And then he asks a series of just devastatingly honest and serious questions. Questions about whether God has cast him off and has cast God's people off. Let's look at his questions. Verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever? He says, God, will you reject us for the rest of time? Will you always keep us at an arm's length? Have you turned away from us, God? Will the Lord never again be favorable? He says, I know you were favorable to me and to us in the past, but are you done with that? Is that over? Do you no longer look on us with favor? Does your face no longer shine upon us? Verse 8, this is maybe the most devastating question. He asks, has God's steadfast love forever ceased? says, is God done with us? Is His love no longer love toward us? This word steadfast love is one of the key words in the Old Testament, especially in God's relationship with His people. It's the word for God's love for His people, His faithfulness in relationship to them. It's the word that the Israelites used to celebrate His salvation. They spoke about how God was a God of steadfast love. It's the words God used to describe His own character when He saved them and delivered them on Mount Sinai. He appears to Moses. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to generation after generation after generation. And so now the psalmist, is. he says, I know you said you would be a God of steadfast love to us, but is your steadfast love over with? Are you done with us? Has your love forever ceased? Verse 8, are His promises at an end for all time? Is God no longer going to do what He said He would do for us? The psalmist asks. Has God, verse 9, forgotten to be gracious? Does He no longer look to us with mercy? Has He, verse 9, in anger shut up His compassion? Have we so angered God, the psalmist asks, that He's just done with us, that He's washed His hands of us? Has He shut up His compassion? Is He done? Have we sinned so much that we've outrun His mercy? That we've reached the end of His patience? And that He's cut us off fully and finally? Those are the questions the psalmist is asking. He's not pulling punches. He's not minimizing His concerns. He's asking. And He's asking these questions honestly with God. I think it's notable that this psalm isn't just something that the psalmist kept to himself. Eventually, he writes it down. It goes into the songbook of God's people, and this is a song they sing. Can you imagine singing these questions in church together? The Bible gives us those sorts of questions. It grapples with these questions, and these were real questions for Asaph, and they can be, at times, real questions for us. Perhaps you think you have sinned so much that there's no more grace left for you from God. Or perhaps when you look at the state of the church in the world, you wonder, has God turned His back on us? Or perhaps in other areas of life, it just feels like God is far away or God is against you or God no longer has grace or mercy for you. These questions are not abstract questions. They're gut-wrenching questions that the psalmist faces square in the face and that he brings to God. 
And when we have questions like this, when we have concerns like this, we can bring them to God. He can handle them. He can answer them. We can ask them. So the psalmist is in trouble. He's crying out to God. He's expressing his concerns to God. What does he do? How do we move from that to the praise at the end of the psalm? What is the turning point, if you will? Well, I believe the turning point in Psalm 77 comes in verse 10, where the psalmist says, Then I said, after asking these questions, has God rejected us? Is he no longer going to love us the way that he used to love us? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. He says, you know what? I'm in distress. It doesn't seem like God is looking on me with favor or on God's people with favor. But I'm going to remember who God has shown himself to be. I'm going to remember God's past faithfulness, his track record over years and years and years, and I'm going to remember that and remind myself of that, and I'm going to put my trust in that, he says. Now, this isn't a new approach for the psalmist. It's worth noting. Verse 11, he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. He's saying, I'm remembering I'm meditating, which means repeating to oneself over and over. And yet, he's already been doing that. Verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Verse 6, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. So he's doing the same things he's been doing in verses 1 through 8. But he's continuing to remember, continuing to turn himself back to God's past faithfulness, even though at first it doesn't seem to help, even though at first it seems to make things worse and to cause him to moan and to faint, even though at first when he tries to remember the songs he used to sing, it just raises more questions for him. But he keeps going to God, he keeps crying out, he keeps praying, And he keeps remembering and turning back to God's past faithfulness. And he reminds himself and remembers and prays his way out of his despair by reminding himself and looking back to who God is and what he has done. He remembers his way through his distress, through his questions, to a place where he is remembering God's past faithfulness. And as he remembers God's past faithfulness, there comes a turn. Verse 13 through 15, he says, Your way, O God, is holy. He says, You're good, God. What God is great like our God? You are the ultimate God, the only true God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. He says, You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He says, I look back, and I see your work in saving us in the past. This redeeming your people is language for freeing slaves. And he's, so he's looking back at the Exodus, the ultimate example of God's salvation in the Old Testament, where God took Israel, delivered them from slavery in Egypt, and brought them out by his powerful arm. He says, I'm reminding myself of your saving work in the past, 
even though I don't see it in the present and it seems like you're treating us differently now. He says, I'm looking back to your faithfulness to the children of Jacob and Joseph. You were faithful to our ancestors. You will be faithful to us. And the language he's using here in verses 13 through 15 is drawn from the songs he would have used to sing. It's drawn from the songs that Israel sang when God saved them in the past. Specifically from Exodus 15. In Exodus 15, this is a song that Moses and Miriam sing as God has just brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And if you know that story, uh, the Egyptians come to try to take them back and recapture them and make them slaves. But God defeats the Egyptians and leads them through the Red Sea safely as his people. And as they reach the other side, they cry out to God, they give him glory, and they give him praise. And the psalmist draws on that language from that song, a song he would have known in verses 13 through 15. For example, Psalm 77, 13, he says, What God is great like our God? Exodus 15:11, Moses sings, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Look at verses 11 through 12 of Psalm 77. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. So we have deeds, wonders, greatness of God. All of those things from Exodus 15, he's remembering those things and he's singing them to himself. He says, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. Exodus 15, you have this theme. God works wonders. He's awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Exodus 15, 14, Moses says, all the nations are going to see. The peoples have heard. They tremble. And so the psalmist here is drawing on this ancient song that he knows from Exodus 15, the song that celebrates God's saving work. And he's remembering those things and he's saying, God, you saved in the past. You were faithful in the past to us. I know this is true, even though I can't see it right now, even though it seems like you're not faithful in the same ways you've been faithful in the past. And I will appeal to that. I will put my hope in that. I will trust that you are the same God now that you were then, that if you saved us then, you will deliver us now. And so this provides an answer to his questions. Will the Lord spurn forever? It says, it looks like you're far away from us now, but I know that you redeemed us by your arm. Will the Lord never again be favorable? He says, well, it feels like you'll never again be favorable, but I know you were favorable to us in the past. Has God's steadfast love forever ceased? He says, well, I know that you were showing your steadfast love then, and I'm going to trust that you'll continue to do that now. Are God's promises at an end for all time? He says, well, it seems like the promises are over with, but I'm trusting that the promises you made then will still hold true today. Has God forgotten to be gracious? He says, well, I'll remind myself that even though it looks like God has turned His graciousness away, that He was gracious in the past. Has God in anger shut up compassion? He says, well, it feels like He has, but I'm going to remind myself that He showed us compassion then and He will show us compassion in the future. And so the psalmist is remembering his way through the distress through the questions, he's singing the songs he used to sing even though they don't feel like they're coming true in the present. And he's working his way through this despite the difficulty to a place of trusting in God. 
But if that weren't good enough, the psalm doesn't just end with God. Things are really hard and I'll just grin and bear it and trust that maybe you still love us. Instead, verses 16 through 20 crescendo to this awesome declaration of worship in which the psalmist takes the events of past salvation of the deliverance of God's people in the Red Sea, the psalm that he's just quoted, and then he expands on it with this beautiful imagery describing God's past salvation. It says, when the waters saw you, he's referring to the Red Sea, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. It says, you were in control of the Red Sea, God. You worked by your powerful arm to save us and deliver us and to show your faithfulness to us. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footsteps were unseen. He says, our ancestors saw your faithfulness. We saw your power. We saw your goodness to us in your saving work. You led your people, verse 20, like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. It says, you were a good shepherd who cared for us, who loved us, who showed graciousness to us, who showed steadfast love to us. And so the psalmist moves from these desperate cries, from this pain, and he works his way through it, and he ends on a note of worship to God. He says, God, you are the saving God. You are the delivering God. You are the loving God who leads your people like a flock. You're the one who's been faithful in the past. And so even though I don't quite see it right now, I'm going to trust you'll be faithful in the present. And I'm going to trust you'll be faithful in the future. You see, he's remembering God's past faithfulness. He's crying out. He expresses his concerns. He remembers. But he ultimately ends up with rejoicing. And friends, that is how we should respond when we are in deep despair. That is how we should respond when God seems far away or when God seems to have turned against us. We should look back to his past saving faithfulness in times of present trouble. That's what the psalmist does. He looks back to God's past salvation and he delights in it. And yet as glorious as the Red Sea was, as glorious as God's saving acts were in the past, and as much of a comfort as they should have brought the psalmist, we have even greater reason to trust in God's faithfulness because we live this side not just of the Red Sea, but this side of Jesus Christ who offered Himself on the cross for our salvation. When we ask ourselves, will the Lord spurn forever? We can say, well, He sent the Father sent Jesus to save us from our sins. And if Jesus offered Himself on the cross, he will keep us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When we ask, will the Lord never again be favorable? We can look back and see, well, He showed us enough favor to send the Son. Jesus died on the cross for us. And so, in His love, we see a picture of favor and love that will continue. When we ask, has God's steadfast love forever ceased? Has God's covenant love for His people ended for all time? We can say, no, I can look back at Jesus who gave Himself and His blood of the new covenant that we might be His people and live with Him forever. When we ask, are God's promises at an end for all time? We can look back and trust that what Jesus has begun, Jesus will finish. When we wonder, has God forgotten to be gracious? 
Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Have I or we sinned so badly that there's no more grace left for us? We can say no. The Father loved us enough that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and he will show us mercy through Jesus. And so when we face these questions, when we face these concerns, it is right and it is appropriate to cry out to God. It is right and it is appropriate to express our concerns and our questions. But let us remember our way through them. Let us remember God's past faithfulness to his people in the Old Testament. Let us remember his faithfulness to us through Jesus Christ. And let that move us through despair, through questions, to remembering and ultimately to rejoicing. Because Jesus has given himself for us. And so we will always belong to God. He will never turn against us. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, you know that at times we are in despair, that at times we cry aloud to you, we stretch out our hands without wearying, and that sometimes when we remember you, O God, we moan and our spirits faint. Sometimes it feels as though you are holding our eyelids open and we are so troubled that we cannot speak. Sometimes when we try to consider the days of old, the years long ago, when we try to remember our songs in the night, when we try to meditate in our hearts, we're just left with questions. Will you spurn forever? Will you never again be favorable? Has your steadfast love forever ceased? Are your promises at an end for all time? Have you, God, forgotten to be gracious? Have you in anger shut up your compassion? Oh, Father, help us in those moments to trust in the years of your right hand, to remember your deeds, O Lord, your wonders of old, to ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like you are God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Father, we thank you that through your work in the Old Testament and your work in the New, most clearly through the work of the Son, Jesus Christ, that we have salvation, that we can trust in your past faithfulness, that we can trust in you. So, Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to remember, even when remembering is hard, and help us to trust in you. 